George and Stella had been married for many, many years, and Stella learned to expect the unexpected in their marriage. She never exactly knew what George was going to do next. Life was always a surprise. And when he passed away one September, she was heartbroken and distraught. She couldn't seem to get life back together again. She missed the spontaneity and the fellowship and all of those wonderful things that are part of a good marriage. And when Christmas came around, she just didn't have the heart to celebrate. She decided she wouldn't get the tree out. She wouldn't bring out the decorations. She was somewhat in despair and moping until there was a knock on the door and she opened the door and it was the postman or some type of a person bringing an unusual package. And he said, are you Stella so-and-so? She said, yes, I am. Here's a package for you. And he opened it up and it was a small puppy dog. <laughs> and she looked at that dog and she said, what am I going to do with this? And she said, who sent this to me? And he smiled and said, it came from George. And there was actually a card in the box. He wrote it just a week before he passed away. He'd planned all of this and said, honey, just one more surprise to keep you thinking about me and to give you someone who will give you a little bit of companionship. Well, she dissolved into tears. And she loved that dog. And she said, let's, let's go get the Christmas decorations out and set them up. And you read a story like that, especially around Christmas, and it touches your heart because you think of love unexpected. And you know, when you decide to follow Jesus Christ, you've got to expect the unexpected. He loves to do things to surprise us and to remind us that he is there. And so for a, a sermon series title for this Advent season, we have Expect the Unexpected. The high drama of redemption is filled with the unexpected, just like what happened to Mary in Luke chapter 1. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to the gospel according to Luke and the very first chapter. And this was something Mary didn't expect. The Bible in the very first part of Luke chapter 1 is telling the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a cousin to Mary, and she is going to have a child in her old age. And so the birth that she is going to get, or the, the carrying of the child and giving birth to a child is going to be miraculous as well, but in a different sense. And that story has been told to us. So when we pick up the reading in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, that means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man, Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Boy, there's a lot said in two verses. Uh, here you have God visiting man. Uh, in the little town of Nazareth, you have to remember that Nazareth was a despised place. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We read in John's Gospel, chapter 1. It was one of those cities that was uh, often hated, and it was the butt of many jokes. And every time I try to think of a city to use as an illustration, someone comes from the congregation after the sermon and says, that's my hometown. So I won't, 
mention any particular town like that in our own place, but it was, it was a town that was not thought of highly. It was in the region of Galilee, that's the northern part, more of a peasant town, and twice we're told that this young girl who was pledged to be married was a virgin. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Is that significant? Absolutely significant. But she was pledged to be married, and in that day, the betrothal period was just as binding as a contract. You couldn't get out of this betrothal period unless there was a divorce. If a man would die during this betrothal engagement period, the woman would be called a widow, even though the marriage had never been consummated and they had not lived together. So it was a very connected situation, and they were pledged to one another and committed to one another. And I think anything else that you can think of, of young people looking forward to their marriage. We know that they were poor, so it wasn't going to be a lavish wedding. Luke chapter 2 tells us the offerings that they bring are those of a, a poor couple. But think of the young girl, probably in her teens. We don't know exactly where, maybe even in her middle teens. In that day, it wasn't uncommon for a woman to get married when she was 15, 16. Imagine them giddy and excited and somewhat nervous over the wedding that is going to come. And they're thrilled about the expectation of a life together and happy thoughts of a home and raising a family. And all of that filled their heart. Imagine Mary's surprise. I think there was shock and there was fear. And that's really what the Bible tells us. In verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this could possibly be. I want you to know that Mary, when we read her story and her biography, we often think, how can I even compare myself to a person like this? What kind of uh, illustration or example can she be to me? Where's the transfer? Where's the connection between her life and my life? But the Bible tells us that Mary was a servant of the Lord. That's verse 38. If she is a servant of the Lord, she's one who has a desire and a passion to follow the Lord. So that I think there is great crossover and application for those of us who want to follow Jesus Christ, to understand that our faith is going to be tested and what Mary goes through, while different from what we experience, is similar to all of those who would seek to follow God. So if you want to be a God follower, notice this. You're going to experience times of trouble. Mary was greatly troubled, frightened, scared out of her mind, I think. And for at least two reasons. Number one, because of the appearance of the angel. You have to understand that in that day, it was well understood that if there was any type of supernatural manifestation of God or an angelic being. It was a certain token of sudden death. Remember when Samson was born? The Bible tells us, or actually before he was born, the angels told his parents what was going to happen. And Manoah, the father, said, we're doomed to die. <laughs> We've seen an angel 
And this isn't good. And so everyone cringed with fear, abject fear, and generally believed that seeing an angel meant you were a goner. And so Mary was frightened by the appearance of the angel. We read the story as though this happened to Mary every day. Oh, it's Tuesday? An angel will probably show up. Now, this was a shocker. And being so young, I'm sure without the experience of life, she had no idea except the tradition she had heard that when an angel appears, you're in big trouble. The visitation was something to be dreaded, not something to be enjoyed. So I think she was greatly troubled because of the appearance of the angel, but she was also greatly troubled by the message of the angel. The Bible tells us she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Mary, you are highly favored. That was the greeting. Literally, you are greatly graced. Grace has been poured out on you. What is grace? God's unmerited Favor. It's not something Mary deserved. She was a, a godly gal, no doubt, but not a perfect person. And the grace that came upon her was not something she deserved. In fact, the verb is a passive tense verb. She was a recipient of the grace that God was pouring upon her. And I think it interesting that when we study Mary, especially during the Christmas season, we seem to go to extremes. There are those who magnify her beyond her status and actually worship her, but there are those who don't magnify, there are those who vilify her in reaction maybe to those who go too far the other way, and they don't even want to mention her. But she is indeed blessed. Look at verse 48. All generations are going to call her blessed. She's highly favored of God, and she is greatly blessed of God. And it's something that every generation that follows should remember and should acknowledge. This is the work of God. The message that the angel gave her was also troubling when she simply read, God is with you. The Lord is with you, the last part of verse 28. What does that mean? I'm sure that that was troubling. And the angel, noticing the fear and terror on the face of Mary as, as uh, the angel appeared, he said to her in verse 30, but don't be afraid. Mary, don't be filled with fear. You found favor with God. There's that word grace again. God has given you unbelievable grace for a very special mission. And he describes the mission to her. You and I need to understand that as Christians, we have been highly favored. Not in the same way, but you and I have been greatly graced. There is the common grace that God gives to everyone, and then there is special saving grace that God gives to those who believe. And then there is serving grace that God gives to us for a certain mission. Mary's serving grace was unique and is never to be repeated. But God has graced us with common grace and saving grace in Jesus Christ and grace to serve him in some spiritual capacity. We are greatly graced. And yet the trouble is this. God often appears to us and gives us a mission that is difficult for us to grasp. 
Sometimes God does things that totally surprises us and we can't understand it. It's a trial. It's a challenge. It's a difficulty. And we see it as a problem instead of God's grace being poured upon us. So basically what God says to us in all of life in those troubling times is this. Don't be afraid. I am with you and I've got a plan. And that's what you have to grasp. I find it interesting that the phrase do not be afraid appears over 60 times in the Bible. In the New Testament, it's about 16 times, but it's repeated time and time again in the nativity narratives. So it was to Zechariah earlier in Luke chapter one where the angel said, don't be afraid. When the angel appeared to Joseph, don't be afraid. These have to be the first words out of an angel's mouth because again, the people who see a visitation like this think for sure that they will not live much longer. It's to Mary the message is given and to the shepherds, don't be afraid. This is good news I've got for you. And so many people think that even to consider God or to enter into God's presence or to somehow get close to understanding who he is is something to be dreaded, but it's not because God is a God of grace. And the Christmas story is a story of love for God to love the world that he gave. So Mary is upset by the appearance of the angel. She's greatly troubled by the message of the angel. And the rest of the message is equally troubling. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child. You'll give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. Your son will be great. And he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Now imagine, uh, this is uh, one amazing surprise after another. Mary, you're going to have a son. Now that was a shocker. Mary, you're pregnant. You're gonna have a son. Not only that, he's going to be called the son of the highest. Later on in the text, in verse 35, he's called the Son of God. So your son is not just human. It's not just a baby you're going to give birth to. He's divine. He's the Son of the highest. He's the Son of God. And not only that, he's a sovereign. So you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the Son of God, and he's going to be the sovereign of the world who reigns forever. And now she's clicking, if she can think. This is all about the Messiah. Now, almost every Jewish young girl had the hope that she could have children, that she could have male children. Unfortunately, there was a thought that those were more important than the females, but they were looking for a son to carry on the family name. And even some had the hope that they could be the mother of the Messiah. But I doubt that anyone thought that it would really happen. Expect the unexpected when you follow God. You're pregnant, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the sovereign. By the way, this fits all of the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. There's the sovereignty. The son, the child is born, the sovereignty. The government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. 
There's the divinity. Humanity, sovereignty, and divinity all in this message thrown upon this young girl all at once while she's already scared to death. Is there any wonder that she is greatly troubled? But I love how Mary responds. She goes from being greatly troubled, greatly concerned, to being teachable. Now, she's understandably confused, as anyone would be. Her response is, verse 34, how can this be? Now, if you have been reading the scriptures and you've made your way through the gospel of Luke, you'll notice that earlier on, Zechariah was told that he and Elizabeth would have a child, even in their old age, and he responded by saying, how is this going to happen? Actually, his response was more like, how shall I know this is going to happen? And the Bible tells us the angel got a little bit upset and said, okay, if that's the way you're going to respond, you're not going to talk until it will happen. And Zechariah lost his ability to speak. But that doesn't happen to Mary. You say, why? Didn't the same thing happen? No, their response was a little bit different. Zechariah, in essence, said, how shall I know this is going to happen Mary said, what's the process? (laughs) Okay, how is it going to happen? How are you going to do this? One was concerned about the process. One was concerned about the promise. Zechariah doubted whether it could happen. Mary respectfully questioned, how could it happen? So she had a question. How can this be since I am a virgin? And now this is the third time that the word is used in the text. And for us to say, as many religious people do, that this is not important in the nativity narrative. That is, whether you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin or not is is not important. It, It doesn't affect the story. It doesn't affect salvation. It doesn't affect whether you're a true believer or not. And I'm here to say this is one of the cardinal doctrines of the faith because it's clearly revealed in Scripture. And to doubt this story is to doubt the power of God. And without getting into the technicalities of the Hebrew word that was used, Alma, and the Greek uh, word that was used for virgin, Parthenos, It's abundantly clear that Jesus was born of a woman who had never had union with a man, and that's what makes it so miraculous. Now, not everyone is going to believe that. Rumors began to go, I'm sure, in the little town of Nazareth first, and then it spread throughout all of the land of Israel. And when Jesus was teaching in Jerusalem, it was many of those who doubted his teaching who said, we weren't born of fornication. And the hint could not be missed. But the Bible tells us that the miraculous thing is that this just goes against the norm, right? Mary, this goes a little against the norm. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And God often wants to do something in your life and my life that we don't expect that sometimes goes against the norm. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a wonderful, abundant purpose in it. She was doubtful concerning the process, but respectful concerning her inquiry. 
And you and I should not be afraid to question God in the sense of how can this be, but don't question God in the sense of I don't think it's going to happen. There's a difference there between unbelief and faith. Mary shows great deference and great honor. She's got a teachable spirit. And in all of the difficulties of life that you and I face, when troubling times come, we need to learn to be teachable because in the midst of those trials, that's when God teaches us deep truths that we could not get any other way. So while we despise the trial, we rejoice in what we learn in the trial. So the angel gives Mary an explanation, verse 35. This is almost like a scientist explaining, you know, the, the existence of the universe. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure she didn't. Uh, this is going to be miraculous. It has to do with God and his spirit. Has nothing to do with man. And God is going to come upon you. He's with you right now. He's highly favored you. In fact, the miracle has already taken place so that the one born from your womb is indeed man, but God. He's the Holy One, the Son of God. This is a miracle, Mary. And how do you respond to miracles? You, there is so much mystery in our own discipleship. There is so much that we cannot understand in our own walk with God. We need to get it and get it very early on in our journey with Christ that there is much we will not understand, but we know the one who's taken our hand. We know the one who's guiding us through every step of life. And he is trustworthy So a servant of God needs to be teachable, understandably confused, mystified, but trusting. And that's the last thing we see in Mary. She is wholly compliant. Confused, yes, but compliant. After giving the explanation, which Mary probably didn't totally understand, there was an illustration given, verse 36, of a miraculous birth, albeit different. Your cousin Elizabeth, your relative, she's going to have a child in her old age. She's already in her sixth month, she who was said to be barren. I did that miracle, and I can do this one. And Mary's response in verse 38, I am the Lord's doulos. Slave, it's the lowest female slave that you could possibly conceive of. I am your maidservant. May it be to me just as you have said. Now, Mary was wholly compliant in that she responded in body, soul, and spirit. Sometimes our obedience is half hearted. You know what half hearted obedience is? I obey with my mind, but not my body. I obey with my mind, but not my emotions. I obey with my emotions, but I don't follow through. That's half-hearted. Wholehearted obedience is body, soul, and spirit. Everything that is you responds to everything that is in him. And notice, Mary responds totally, 
wholeheartedly. First of all, her body. Actually, she surrenders her body to the Lord. And by the way, that was not an easy thing to do. Don't you think she began to think about other questions like, what is mom going to say? What is dad going to say? What are my friends and the people in town? What's Joseph going to say? And all of those were legitimate questions, as we see later on in the story. And yet she still gave her body to the Lord. Are we required to do that? How about Romans 12.1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, everything about you, your whole person. Present yourself, your body to God. This is your reasonable response to his amazing mercy. But notice the scripture goes on. When she begins to celebrate, and that's exactly what she does, she bursts forth in song. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There it is, body, soul, and spirit. It's hard to differentiate between soul and spirit, but if you did, you might say the soul is your essence, your nature and character, and the spirit is your personality and your attitude. But everything that was in her and her body as well, the outward and the inward, dedicated to God, surrendered, wholly compliant, not holding anything back. This is one of the greatest demonstrations of faith in all of the Bible. Let me say it again. The, the narrative of the nativity holds for us some of the greatest examples of faith that you can find anywhere in all the Bible. You've got young people like Joseph and Mary believing. You've got elderly people like Anna and Simeon or Elizabeth and Zechariah believing. You've got the rich people like the Magi and the poor people like the shepherds, male and female. The response is amazing. And they had to take it by faith because they couldn't understand all that was happening. Faith perceives as real and factual what has not been revealed to the senses. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things we don't see. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen and it gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. And so Mary responds like you and I should respond in amazing faith. Don't miss the drama of redemption. Put yourself into the emotional part of the story because it's so much like your walk with God today. Greatly troubled? Be teachable. And in the end, trust him because he knows what is best. In essence, Mary experienced God's grace and she believed God's word. And that's exactly what every servant of God must do throughout their journey. God will not ask you to do exactly what Mary did. She was one of a kind, never to be repeated. But there are similarities. And if we're going to journey with God, if we're going to walk as servants obediently, wholly compliant, then we need to experience his grace and believe his word and step forward in faith. It's a 
true story of, I think it was December 1904 when the Wright brothers first flew their plane in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They sent a telegram to their sister who was back home in Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. They said, Catherine, we have flown today. We'll be home by Christmas. The telegraph was picked up at the telegraph station and Catherine was so excited she showed it to the person working there and he looked over, read it and said, that's nice, the boys will be home for Christmas. (laughs) And missed the miracle of human flight. You and I celebrate Christmas and miss the miracle. God has become man. May we never forget it. Heavenly Father, teach us to be servants, wholly compliant, One of the aspects of the communion service is that not only do we acknowledge your sacrifice for us, we renew our dedication to you. So this morning at the beginning of this Christmas season, may each one of us in our hearts say, Lord, make us like Mary. Let us be trusting in body, soul, and spirit. May the one who gave up his body for us, may the one who gave up his life for us, be the one we give our body and soul and spirit to, serving you with joy and rejoicing. If Mary needed a savior, and according to Luke 1, she did, all of us need one as well. And may we rejoice in knowing that our sins forgiven as we celebrate the birth of our savior. In Jesus' name, amen.